Evening, everyone. Who's sick and tired of hearing about knowing God? Sick and tired of it. Goodness sake, move on. There is a reason why we have spent so many Sunday services, so many Sunday messages, so many discipleship nights, so many Ignite and Furnace sessions on the theme of knowing him. Part of the reason is found in the words of American theologian Millard Erickson, who wrote, The doctrine of God is the central point of theology. A person's view of God supplies the whole framework within which his theology is constructed and his life is lived. That means how we think of God shapes our faith. In fact, it shapes our entire worldview. Our understanding of God will affect how we relate to him and how we live out our faith. Since our goal is to become more Christ-like, we need to know and understand what that means. What is Christ actually like? Who is God? What can we know about him? How can we know him? And how will knowing him impact who we are becoming now and our eternity? If your primary image, for example, of God is an angry ruler meeting out judgment on rebellious sinners, your faith will no doubt be a lot less gracious and merciful than someone whose primary image of God is of a loving daddy. And probably not just your faith, but other areas of your life as well. Likewise, if your image of God is of an all-powerful creator ruling dispassionately from the heavens, you may struggle to draw near to God relationally in the same way that's of someone who has a deeper revelation of Jesus as a friend and the Holy Spirit as a comforter. Having an accurate and balanced revelation of God, of who God is, enables us to engage deeper with him, to trust him more, and to accurately, accurately grow into his true image, rather than just the part of his image that you're aware of, or the part that you favor most. To be more like God, we need to know more of God and that is why we have studied his nature. It's why we have studied his attributes and his character and his name and titles. And why we have spoken this on this time and time again. Because it seems like people want to move on from it rather than fully receive the revelation and everything that it means. Because this revelation changes everything. Intimacy, though is not a matter of what you think about God. Intimacy is the measure or quality of how you know God and how you relate to him. A theology professor can know a lot of what the Bible says about God, but still have little or no personal experience of him, no real relationship with him. And the difference between those is light and outer darkness. 
We don't read a lot of Job. We don't preach a lot of Job. This little verse I found the other day spoke of what he really missed. In his time of darkness, what he really missed when he thought back to the way it used to be. And what he said in Job 29. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house. The Jesus we find in John's Gospel knows God and has come to make him known. And the God that he knows is a loving Father. Jesus has revealed to us a loving Father that we might know him too. Jesus not only pointed the way to God, but he modeled what a relationship with loving Father looks like and how we can have that. We have all been created to have an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father and to experience all our Father has for us now and in the future, both as individuals and as a body. The Father is described with many different attributes, but above all, God is love. And this one attribute, Scripture singles out a number of places, love, love is first, love is highest. God the Father is the ultimate expression of love, or rather, love is an expression of who he is. The truest definition of love comes from him. We look to him to know what love is. He is the source of love. He is def- it is defined by his nature. God's love is demonstrated in so many different ways. It is long-suffering. His love and his love, he disciplines us for our growth. And because of it, he protects us and he provides for us and ultimately died for us. Coming into relationship with God the Father makes us his children. And we receive a new identity which entitled us to partake of all the legal rights and honors that come from being his son. We must receive the revelation of the spirit of sonship so that we can understand who we are in him. And this seems to be something that we're still struggling with, our identity in him. Otherwise, we continue to revert back to the old, expired identity of orphans and slaves. And slaves have, have no, no rights They have no intimacy, no relationship. There is no inheritance for them. There is no honor. There is no glory. And this is the identity that the Father has pulled us out of. And we need to let that go. We need to let it rest. We need to claim the one he has given us as his sons, as his heirs, and claim everything that that new identity affords us. And I believe, and I believe the scripture teaches, that the greatest blessing that this new identity affords us is intimacy with him. Being his children, being his son or his daughter, affords us an intimacy that we could not otherwise have. And intimacy with God changes everything.
And this is what we want you to consider tonight. Thinking about the difference of, of, um, of engagement with God and with the kingdom and with faith, with and without intimacy. And this is real for me because as I look back over my, my years in faith and consider how much of it was lived without intimacy, I can see every pitfall that I ended up in, every mistake I made, every mindset that was not of him, that came of not having intimacy. Despite studying the scriptures diligently, despite attending service after service religiously, week after week, year after year, thousands of sermons, literally thousands and thousands of sermons, life group, doing all the things I should be doing. I'm tithing, I'm fasting, I'm praying, but I'm doing things I know I should, but somehow not in a place of intimacy. And the fruit that it produced in me was not the fruit that I read that was promised for me in his word. And oh, how that has frustrated me because I didn't get this one thing. What he wanted with me is an intimate relationship as his son, as his friend, and ultimately, hopefully, as a part of his bride. Consider this, discipleship, something I'm so passionate about. Discipleship, something that I've taught and been engaged in and been a discipler my entire career. Without intimacy, discipleship has the appearance of walking with each other. The appearance of walking with each other. But we're not really walking with him. And as a result, we're not really walking with each other either. While we may religiously attend a weekly service in a discipleship group, without intimacy, we aren't growing into his likeness because we don't know what he's like because we don't really know him. Judas Iscariot was in discipleship, walking daily, sleeping next to the master with Christ himself, right there to receive his teaching. The purest form of discipleship, except he didn't have intimacy. How did that end for him? Hanging from a tree in a field. In despair because he totally missed what it was that Christ was bringing and ended up so far from that, despite having discipleship. We will preach discipleship to the cows come home, which is a stupid analogy because they generally come home at about 4.30. We will... We will continue to encourage you to engage in discipleship. But it can't be just discipleship. It can't be just attending a weekly group. Because if there's not intimacy with God in it, you are wasting your time. And, and not just wasting your time, potentially setting yourself up for error and walking away from him. And that's what happened with Judas and so many others. With intimacy... Discipleship takes us deeper into relationship with Christ. It leads us into transformative knowledge. 
And there is a difference. There is knowledge and there is transformative knowledge. There is a knowledge that transforms us more into the likeness of Christ. This is knowledge that is found in intimacy. Intimate discipleship produces spiritual maturity in us. Intimate discipleship equips us to follow Jesus and not just externally, which we can do in our own strength, but internally where it really matters. And internally, that is where we are sanctified to become more like him. And then the external is a reflection of what is happening inside rather than something we produce. Worship. Another thing I am passionate about. We're not here to talk about worship tonight. I don't need to go into how worship is not, you know, just singing songs. But one of our core expressions of worship, together as a body at least, is to gather here together and to sing and adore him, music and song. That's just one way to do it. Without intimacy, our worship, whichever expression we use, becomes dead, dry, religious. Of this worship, God said in Amos 5, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings or your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. Such strong language. Hate. I can understand him hating sin, and we know that's true. It offends his holiness, his righteousness. But he hates the gathering of his people to do their weekly religious rituals, which we continue to do today. Without intimacy, he hates it. It's not just he's bored with it, can't be bothered with it. He hates it. Jesus said in Matthew 15, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And that is what it's talking about here. We can do all the things that Christians are supposed to do when we get together or at home. We can do the things, but our hearts, if they're far from him, if we don't have intimacy, he doesn't want a bar of it. With intimacy, worship is an encounter with God's intimate presence. It is an outpouring of adoration from a heart that God has poured his love into. Worship isn't something that we generate ourselves. It's an overflow of what he's done in us, what he's put into us. Worship isn't about us and our experiences. Worship is actually a recognition of who he is and giving some kind of expression to that. In the old English, if you're interested, the, the, the core of worship was worthship a reflection of the worth or value of that which you were going to worship. So our worship is actually based on who he is and what he's done, not about who we are or what we think. And the more intimate our relationship with him, the more we know him intimately, the greater our worship is because we have a greater concept and experience of who he is. Intimate worship is beautiful. And it's beautiful because it's honest and it because it, it's a reflection of his beauty. And there's a, there's, a few, there's a few things that you can come to know about God without being in an intimate relationship. 
But to truly know the beauty of God, you need to be in intimacy with Him. Scripture. Oh, I love the Scripture. Wasn't always that good for me, though. Without intimacy with God, Scripture will often, if not usually, be misinterpreted, misunderstood. We struggle to understand the words of Scripture because we don't know the author. And so we interpret according to our own bias rather than from his revelation. Many religious people in Jesus' day struggled with this. This was their position. And he said in John 5, You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. With intimacy, God's word brings life. It is alive. It is living and active. Because in relationship with him, we're not just studying scripture. We're engaging with him and he is speaking his word into our hearts and bringing understanding to our renewed minds as we walk with his spirit who truly becomes our teacher and guide as he was promised to us. When we engage with scripture from intimacy, we are led to Christ and into the heart and mind of the Father. Now, this is, again, something that we can't produce ourselves. Off our own bat, from our own efforts, we get the former position, studying the Scripture, but still not finding Him or life. But from intimacy, we find the Word that He has for us. We find transformative knowledge, not just knowledge to fill an airhead. Fellowship. It's a word we throw around a little bit. It's a bit of a churchy word for the most part, fellowship. Want to come have some fellowship with me, brother? What would that mean for us? Jaron's a friend of mine. If I was to say, let's go have some fellowship, what would that mean for us? Have a catch-up, have a yarn, see if a game's on. Might have a, uh, a refreshment or two, yes. Quite likely. Uh... And I would enjoy it. And, and maybe, it, maybe I'd be um, encouraged because he's a mate of mine. We tend to think of fellowship in um, quite um, social terms. Uh, church, uh, what do we have? We have uh, hmm? cups of tea, sure. Maybe go have a picnic. We get, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a social thing. Um, we have fellowship nights at Life Group and we, that's when we hang out. Maybe watch a movie together. We have this idea that it's the social nights where we don't get too spiritual on it. What is that about? That's the night off from doing serious spiritual stuff? Is, that's, well, that's been my experience in life groups. It's been the night off. Fellowship, it ends up being one of the least spiritual things we do together. What is that about? Is that really what you think fellowship biblically is? 
Do you know what makes us fellows? Fellowship is about what we have in common, what brings us together. Biblical fellowship, spirit-led fellowship, is the bringing together of people of God. Those, the one thing we have in common, the Spirit of God, our belief in Christ. And what we gather around is not, is not food, though it's best if that's a part of it. It's not a, definitely not a movie or a board game. What we gather around is the presence of God. Fellowship was huge in, uh, in Old Testament times. It's something that, that was codified in the law that people would celebrate, that they would have festivals. And what they were celebrating was God and his provision, who he is and what he had done for them. Allusions to his great cosmic plan for an eternal marriage. It was these kind of things. The celebration was of God. Not of food or a sports team, though food was always a part of it. But it was God that they gathered around. And in that, they celebrated him. And it was fun for the most part. But it was always encouraging. True fellowship from intimacy finds that position. True fellowship brings us to get, not just together, but closer to him as well. Because true biblical fellowship isn't just us. To be true fellowship, he must be in the midst of us. And not just theoretically, like, yeah, I know when two or more are gathered. It's actually it's an active thing where we recognize his presence with us and we engage with him together. That's not the kind of thing that we necessarily approach. We don't usually approach it that way, but that's, that's what it is. But without intimacy, it's a social night. It's a night off. And there isn't any real spiritual edification. And so then what are we on about? How is that any different from hanging out with our friends from work? Prayer. Without intimacy, prayer becomes religious, repetitious, prescriptive, and probably feels one-sided. Because without intimacy, it's probably just you talking to yourself. If you're not in intimacy, who are you talking to? Are you talking to a stranger? Are you throwing something up there and hoping someone grabs it? With intimacy, prayer is real. And it's raw. It's comforting. It's illuminating. It's challenging. It's faith building. I love reading the Psalms. Because they're real and they're raw. There's darkness in them. Because there is darkness in David. There is darkness in us. And his darkness is exposed. And he offers his darkness to God in prayer and song. And it's raw and it's real. And it's intimate. And my life is raw and real and dark and there is hurt in there. And he is offering me an intimate relationship to give that to him, to talk that through with him. 
not just lay out a list of things that I want or need, my shopping list. He wants to get real with me because he is always real. He's always real with me. An intimate prayer, I'm real back. And in that, a relationship grows and grows and grows. What could we say about service with and without intimacy? Or giving, or tongues, or prophecy, or miracles, or church attendance, or evangelism? We could apply that treatment to any one of them and every other practice and expression that that we have. Each and every spiritual practice has a true expression from intimacy and another more common one without it. But only one of those positions brings life. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus knows you. He knows what's in your head. He knows what you, what you think about. He knows what you're going to do. He's talking here about a relationship. And the way that a man knows a woman, there's no relationship there. And that's what he's really looking for. He doesn't care how many devils we've cast out, how many limbs we've prayed and seen grow back. He cares ultimately about our relationship with him. And if you don't know him, if you're not in that relationship with him, the language is harsh. Away from me, you evildoers. Is the process to truly knowing God and to having an intimate relationship with him. Do you think that's one of study? Do you think you're not reading enough scripture and commentary? And Do you think that's what's holding you back? Do you think it's one of scripture memory? Do you think stricter observance to the Levitical code will produce greater intimacy between you and the Lord? Will intimacy with God grow if you tithe? Or if you tithe more, maybe you need to move from tithing on the, on the net to tithing to the, uh, to the, the whole lot, to the, to the gross. Maybe that's what's holding you back from intimacy all along. Maybe you don't attend church enough, or maybe you're a bit, you're a bit late to church, and maybe that's you need to be on time, and that'll uh, produce greater intimacy. Or maybe you're not serving in ministry, or not serving enough in ministry. No, none of that. It comes down to our heart posture. Hunger for God grows out of spending time in His presence. We get a taste for Him. And the more we taste, the more we want. He's quite Moorish in that sense. Mm. It's the first time I think I've used that expression. Well, But I believe it's true. The more you get, the more you want. And the hunger grows that way. Programs or man-made systems can never manufacture or produce intimacy. It cannot 
be synthesized that must be organic. What is the goal of discipleship? Is it, is it to acquire more knowledge? What is the goal of worship? Is it to experience an emotional buzz? What is the goal of fellowship? Is it to have good, clean fun? The goal, the mission is to know him and to know him intimately. Or as Jesus put it, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. That is intimate. And that is what he wants with us. And as we step into that and walk deeper into that intimacy, it changes everything. And that is why we start there. Thank you very much.